Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, we are grateful that in a dark world that you offer us hope and that the one hope, the one certainty uh, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life and sinless uh, life that was offered on a cross for us and that your son walked out of his own grave. And Lord, we thank you that by following him, that accepting that gift that you have offered to us, that we can be uh, a new people, a new creation, and that, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. We know this is the only way to heaven. We know it's the only way we can face death with confidence. And so, Lord, we just pray that each of us would uh, look to those around that we could share the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to be changed by it, transformed by it, that every aspect of our lives and thinking would be uh, touched by it. And so, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would do his work among us today as we think about some of the complexities of life and relationship. We just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Life can get a little messy when you're out of balance, when you don't have solid boundaries. It can get a bit chaotic. Your priorities can get messed up. I think of an author. His name is Greg McCallan, and he tells about when he was a young man, newly, um, you know, young man with a, a new family, his wife, you know, they're in the hospital, they're having uh, their child, and he's excited and thrilled about this, but one of his co-workers, his boss, had pressured him that right at that time, there was a business meeting with a client that they really wanted him at, and he said, he goes, I look back and I'm amazed at this, but he goes, I literally left my wife in the hospital room with our brand new baby and I went to this meeting with a client. And he said that his you know, boss had told him that you know, the client will be impressed by this dedication and, and this effort. And he said you know, he shared it in the meeting and he said, I did not see respect. I did not see impressed. I saw horror that he would walk away from this critical, crucial family moment to go to a business meeting. And he began to rework his life. He began to think about his priorities. He began to put in place some boundaries that helped him to have a better life. You see, when our lives don't have boundaries, they become very messy. Your finances are a mess if you don't have boundaries when it comes to our spending. Uh, maybe your family's absolutely worked just worn out around holiday times. There's divorce in the family and you're trying to make the grandparents happy and all the different and you just, you know, you're on a little circuit ride every holiday and you haven't like picked certain holidays with this part of the family and that with other. Maybe in life you're running 90 miles an hour because you say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're smiling on the outside, but kind of screaming on the inside. So many of us are tired. Some are even exhausted. was reading about some of the challenges here Americans are having. Um, there's about uh, 328,000 auto accidents in a typical year caused by drivers who fall asleep. And that ends up in about 6,400 deaths. That's multiple 9-11s because we're tired, we're exhausted, we're not walking 
in the life that God wants us to have. We're not thriving and flourishing because we don't have appropriate boundaries. We run to do more and more and more. In Proverbs, King Solomon says this, Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. See, in ancient times, the walls of a city were what protected it. And boundaries are walls that are healthy in our relationships, in our relationship with time and with our jobs and, and with our families and the difficult people in our lives. What are some reasons that we don't set healthy boundaries? I think the biggest one is people-pleasing. People ask us to do something, they want us to do something, and, and we want to make them happy. But what happens is, if we always say yes, if our default is yes, and we just try to please all the people around us, we begin to build the worst version of ourselves. This is not how life is supposed to be lived. And we need to stop and think about what would be healthy to get real about boundaries. And so I want to use this acrostic of real, R-E-A-L, to help us as we think this through. One author, and I have in the outline, I have some books that I recommend at the end of the outline. And one, to be honest, I've been in the ministry 27 years, I believe. And it's an interesting profession, career, calling. And in seminary, they would tell us that only about 10% of us that go into it actually um, retire from it, you know, when we're older. That 90% exit for one reason or another. And different careers are like that. A lot of the helping professions are like that. And boundaries is one of those issues. And I'll tell you the book Boundaries that I list on the outline by Townsend and Cloud, it's probably one of the big reasons I'm still in the ministry today because I was just running at an unsustainable pace. There's another book that I appreciated, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. It's a much newer one, Lisa Turkhurst. And she says this, she said, Boundaries are not a good idea, they are a God idea. And that he originated boundaries and he has modeled them for us. So we need to get real about boundaries, about having a life that allows us to flourish as God intended. So the R in real is a rhythm of rest and renewal. Years ago, I watched a movie called Parenthood, and Steve Martin was in it. He was very frustrated. He's talking to his wife, and there's this scene that resonated with me. And at one point, um, they're talking, and he's, you know, she's saying, you have to do this or whatever. And he says, my entire life is have to. And if that's how you feel inside, that's an indication that you have not put up some appropriate boundaries. Your life should not feel like an endless to-do list. There should be those times that you are still. You know, we need to be people that rest, that literally rest and sleep. Those that study this say we need typically seven hours of sleep a night. Toddlers need about ten hours of sleep a night. 71% of people, supposedly according to surveys, sleep right next to their smartphone. So that thing can be pinging all night if you haven't done it, you know, turned it all down. 
you'd be tempted when you wake up to go to the restroom to check it for something. We're told that if you take naps, that there are great blessings in that. There's lower stress and it boosts your immune system and our brain functions higher if you'll take a quick nap in the afternoon. Some cultures have kind of woven that into their culture. I once saw somebody with a t-shirt and it said, you know, Jesus took naps. And then it said, be like Jesus. That's a holiness I can embrace, right? One sociologist, Christine Carter, said this. She, she said, we don't actually need more time. We need more stillness. And I think that's true. Aetna, the healthcare benefits company, actually has a sleep program. Sleep is so important and Americans are so, so sleep deprived that they actually will give their employees $25 extra per night that they sleep seven hours or more up to a certain amount per year. We live in this caffeinated culture. And yet if you drink caffeine after 2 p.m., it's probably going to affect your sleep. Sleep is not just dead time. It is like the cleanup crew coming in and cleaning your brain. There are connections between getting enough sleep and avoiding Alzheimer's and some other issues. One doctor I was reading said the bed is medicine. Building in this rhythm of rest and renewal is profound. I read that Americans work more and vacation less than almost anywhere in the developed world. And so rest is this skill, this rhythm that we need to develop. Our brains and, and our bodies aren't like my wife's car that she drives. She has this nice little screen kind of up here, and it tells you how many miles she can go still on the gas that's in the tank. Wouldn't that be nice to know? Like, we're right there. It's very helpful. Sleep matters. I thought it was interesting, just a little tidbit, that the fastest animal in the world, you know, the cheetah, sleeps like 18 hours a day. Now, the Bible, God gives us these guidelines that help us to build into our lives a rhythm of rest and renewal. One of the key features is Exodus chapter 20. It makes the top 10, verses 8 through 11, where he says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, put, um, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now I don't fully comprehend why the all-powerful God of the Bible needed to rest. Maybe he didn't need to. Maybe it was just an example. But he rested. He built it into the creation week. He builds it into our week. Now, like most Christians, I believe that the Sabbath was moved from Saturday to Sunday in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But whatever day you celebrate, celebrate Sabbath, you need to build into your life some rest, and renewal. That's the R in real when it comes to boundaries. Look for ways to do that. Find your refreshment cycle. 
Look for those activities. It'll be a little different for everybody. What refreshes you may not refresh me. But find those ways and build that into your life. So many of us are running on empty. And you can only go so far. The E in real is for embrace your specific calling. Psalm 16.6 says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I think what that's about is that God has a place for us. He has a calling for us. He has this that we are called to do. I've shared with you before that I was on a different path. I, was getting, I got a business degree and I was looking at law schools and I'm in the little prayer chapel at Taylor University and I felt called to go into the ministry. Kind of fought it kicking and screaming. But what's interesting is I absolutely have loved the ministry. And God knew me better than I knew myself. I think of Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. For we are God's handiwork or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, there's these overarching calling that every Christian has to make disciples, to minister to the least of these, to share the gospel. These things are across the board. But how this is lived out, how we do this specifically, what your unique, specific calling is, you have to figure that out. Listen to those who are wise and can speak into your life, Christians that are maybe a little more mature further down the road. Spend time in prayer and fasting and discern this. We need to be people who live by design, not by default. That gets us into trouble. We need to make sure that our default answer when approached is not yes all the time. At least hit pause and say, well, I'll think about it and actually think about it. Hit pause and say, I'll pray about it and actually pray about it. If you're married, hit pause and say, well, I need to talk to my spouse. My default, honestly, is no. <laughs> That's where I'm at at 53. But stop and look at this. I mean, I remember as a young man, and you know, I'd answer the phone, it was interesting what people would call, you know, what they'd call the minister about. There was an older lady in the church, and she would call and say, I have an emergency, and I would jump and drive over to the house, and, and there was no emergency, or at least we had very different definitions of emergency. And so I learned with that particular person that um, I would wait at least a day, sometimes three days, before I would respond to any message that that person called with. And often, whatever it was, was resolved, and then we could just have a normal conversation. Now, if I don't call you back in three days, I've not put you on that list. I'm just, just saying, that particular person, after jumping so many times, I kind of learned. I found it incredibly helpful, and I never really noticed it in Scripture until I read the book Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and verse 5. Here's what it says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then jump down to verse 5. For each one should carry their own load. And the image that they used that I found super helpful was the image of a backpack. Everybody has a backpack, has a load that is your load, your responsibility. I have one, you have one. And what happens in life, particularly if you're kind of a helper, if you're not careful... 
is there are people who want to hand you their backpack. And as a young man, I would look around and I'd be in a pile of backpacks. What just happened? And so you have to do this. If you have someone who struggles with addiction in your life, they love to take their backpack and hand it to you. You cannot take the backpack. I found that to be a powerful image, and it helped me to think about my calling. God has put me on this earth to do certain things. He's put you on this earth to do certain things. Do those. Figure out what those are and set everything else aside. It is absolutely crucial that we do not get loaded up with a pile of other people's backpacks. Now, there are times to come alongside someone in a moment of crisis. There are times to walk beside them. That's why I, I love that verse because it's like carry each other's burdens. There are times where it's a burden, where it's a boulder. A boulder has hit someone and you come and help for a time, but you don't carry their backpack. It's the difference, for instance, we have a food pantry here, and they work very hard, the volunteers, they get food from the food bank, they bring it over here, there's a bunch of them, they set up a little store every Thursday night, and people can come through and get food. But the other day, I got a call from somebody, and they said, well, could you just bring me food? No, we're not, we're not a delivery service. And as a young guy, I would have felt bad about that. Don't feel bad about it now. I've learned a little bit. As a young guy, I remember being at this church and this lady called and she goes, uh, we don't have any food. And I said, well, here's how this works. Here's where you go. You can go first thing tomorrow morning. And she said, well, couldn't you just bring me a pizza? And as a young guy, I actually thought about it. That's kind of embarrassing to me. And so you have to have boundaries. You have to think through these things. I appreciated a plaque. Um, I served as a, I worked with a camp. I would go and be a dean of a week of camp at Camp Allendale. And the deans would come in and we would just be in charge of a week and we'd recruit the volunteers and we'd put on camp for the kids. And, but there was this camp director, and you would go into his office, and I love the plaque, and the plaque said this. He said, lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Isn't that beautiful? And I think that is a great picture of a healthy boundary. Jesus Christ walked this out. He came, he laid down his life for us. He did what we could not do for ourselves. There is no way we could save ourselves. We could not be good enough. All of us have broken the laws of God. All of us have defied him. All of us have a sin problem we cannot fix on our own. And Jesus came and he was Savior. But he's not our enabler. And so when a woman was caught in adultery and they bring him to her, I mean bring her to him, he didn't condemn her, and he saved her life in that setting. He said, you know, any of you without sin, you throw the first stone. But then he turns to her and he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't just pat her on the head and say, go do whatever you want. 
I think about Matthew 19, a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and Jesus has this conversation with him. Jesus points out the idol in his life, which was his money and his possessions. And he says to this man, he says, go sell everything and follow me. I mean, this is an offer. This is an opportunity to be one of those, you know, part of that inner circle. And this rich young ruler said no because he was wealthy. He wouldn't walk away from it. And you don't see Jesus change what he asked. You don't see Jesus chase him down. He lets him go. Jesus does what only Jesus can do, and we do what we're called to do, what we're able to do. I see when Lazarus died, Jesus raised him from the dead, but then he told the group, help him you know, take the grave clothes off. Jesus raised from the dead Jairus' daughter, and he says to the parents, go fix a meal for her. I mean, Jesus could feed thousands of people with just a little bit of bread and fish. He could have fed her. He did what only he could do and expected them to step in and do what they could do. And so we embrace our specific calling, whatever that looks like in your life, vocationally, relationally, and you walk that out and you set other things aside. The reality is accepting and embracing the specific call of God on your life is offering your best yes. But to walk that out, you have to say a lot of no's. It's crucial. So that's the E in real. Having real boundaries. The A is acknowledging limits. Acknowledging limits. I still, even though I've studied theology a lot, the incarnation fascinates me. God the Son, eternal one, all-powerful, everywhere, becomes Jesus Christ fully divine, fully God, and fully man. And he accepts our limitations. The theologians talk about he sets aside his divine prerogatives because God is eternal. That's kind of part of the basic definition. And yet he comes to die. God is everywhere. And yet he comes as a baby in one place and lives and does ministry in one area. And we see him accept these limitations he, uh, it even talks about how he learned obedience. He submitted himself to the Father. We all as humans are finite. Now, Jesus has embraced all the prerogatives of deity. He's returned to all of that. But for a time, he walked as we walked. Fully human. Go read the book of Hebrews. And it's interesting as he acknowledges some limits so some of his disciples, a pair of brothers, come to him. They even get their mom involved, which is kind of dirty. And they come to him and they're like, hey, can we have the premier spots? I want to sit on the right. You know, you're going to have your throne. I want to be on the right. I want to be on the left. And, of course, it makes all the other disciples mad because they didn't think of this idea first. And Jesus says no. In Mark 10.40, he says, But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. See that? He accepted a limit in the incarnation. God the Father makes that choice. I'm not going to make that choice. Part of being human is acknowledging our limits. Accepting 
and acknowledging those limits and channeling our energy and our effort where we need to be. This weekend, I, I had a little bit of a reminder. So yesterday, we did this leadership conference. And, you know, it was a lot of work and a lot of effort to make that happen. And a lot of things went really well. And a friend of mine called me a while back. And he said, hey, the governor has this prayer breakfast. It's the same morning as your leadership conference. But you could come over, just talk for five minutes, and you could leave and come back over here. And I said yes. And when I told my wife this, she gave me the face that says you're an idiot. You, do you know that face? She didn't actually say it. Just communicated the face. Like, really? It's at 8.30, and this thing's at 10, and you're, you're really going to... And you know what? I pulled it off. I did it. But my stress level should have been this, and it was this. Right? I knew better than that. But a friend asked me, and let's be honest, a little bit of ego, you get to speak at the governor's thing, and that's what gets us in trouble. That's what keeps us from thriving. That's what gets us... Uh, into exhaustion as we need to acknowledge those limits now the last idea the L in real is that we need to love intelligently we need to love intelligently we Christians talk about loving people we talk about it a lot but it seems like we don't talk about loving people intelligently a lot you know maybe you have the gift of hospitality, that you like to open your home. You like to have people come and stay with you. And that's wonderful. That's a God-given gift. I encourage that ministry. But what would not be wise is to put up a big sign in your front yard with an arrow that points to where you have a hidden key to your house. Right? That would not be appropriate. Because some people are evil. Some people are wicked. You've got to love people intelligently you've got to think through some things you have got to put on the lens of reality you've got to assess I, I had to laugh the other day my son assessed me in a way I didn't appreciate so we have these little cards and they're discussion cards and we pull them out we'll do it at dinner and so our 14 year old Henry is there and this particular card was if you had to pick one person to pick your spouse who would that be and so I'm thinking, well, you know, Henry's going to pick me. I, I would make a wonderful choice for him. He did not pick me. And there was no hesitation. He picked his mother. And I was like, really? I said, why? And he said, well, you would pick somebody who's good for me, but boring. That's what he said. <laughs> and Deli thought this was really funny. Until she started thinking through that if you're making fun of my choice in women, <laughs> I don't know. But you have to, as you deal with people, put on a lens of reality. Not wishful thinking. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's a boundary. We love people, and this is what I really appreciate about Lisa Turker's book, Good Boundaries. She said, but we don't give everybody equal access. 
Access comes with trust. Access comes with demonstrated responsibility. And you see God doing this. The Garden of Eden. One boundary. Don't eat of this tree. One boundary. What do they do? They eat of the tree. They demonstrate rebellion. And so you, you go through the Old Testament, and I've never actually counted, but you go through the Old Testament, and I'm told by those who have that God establishes 613 commands. So when people don't, you know, act the way they're supposed to, you move and you start adding boundaries. Start adding boundaries. That's what happens. So Thursday night we do the, the food bank and, and they work hard at it. And I had to come in uh, because we've had some problems. We had two people getting a shoving match over their place in line. And so I got to be the principal, which I just love that role. And come in, and we'd never had rules with our food pantry that we had to hand out. So we now hand out this thing about rules. I had to read them all to the group. And it's so obnoxious because 98% of the people are absolutely delightful. They just need a little help. But it's that 1% or 2% that, you know, go through and steal all the toilet paper out of the bathrooms or shove each other in line or you tell them you can have two canned goods of this section, you can have two of this or three of this and they grab ten. And so we, and we literally had state troopers here just to kind of, you know, do that little heavy-handed, we have to have boundaries, we want everybody to be safe, we want this to work and, you know, it, it went well, it was good. And so what happens, though, is as we love people, at least I try to start with high trust, and I start moving to low trust, depending on your behavior. You probably do this with your kids. You probably do it with your partner, your spouse. You probably do it with your friends. And so we have to love people intelligently. In a group this size, some of you young women, and I could be speaking to young men as well, 27 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of young women fall in love with a young man's potential and not his reality. That is a mistake. That is a mistake. Done a lot of premarital counseling over the years. And most of the time, delightful young people or that are going to get married. But every once in a while, I have this strong desire as, as they're talking to start waving, red flag, red flag. <laughs> Months ago, I was in a restaurant and I heard two single waitresses talking. And one said, you know, they were talking about the men they were dating. And one said, you know, you got to look out for red flags. And the other, the younger woman said, she goes, at this point, I'm just collecting red flags. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> it's going to be a hard life. You've got to love people intelligently. And you see God in the Old Testament, you see Him, He guarded access to Himself. And the ones who got the access were the ones, the priests, the ones who practice the holiness. Now in the New Testament, part of the gospel is that we get to wear the righteousness of Christ. We are invited all the way in. 
But there is a pragmatic, practical righteousness that we're supposed to walk out that's really crucial and really important. Lisa Turker says this, there's a difference between difficult relationships and destructive relationships. And you need to look at the relationships in your life and make some of those decisions. The kids are in here today. You know, there are some kids that are bullies. And you need to stay away from them or go to a teacher or, you know, if they push comes to shove, defend yourself. And so we have these moments where you have to have that realistic look and love people intelligently. I love Proverbs 17, verse 17 and 18, which says this, because it's this combination of have this really enduring, beautiful, faithful, um, almost unconditional love, but it also talks about boundaries. Solomon writes this, A friend loves at all times. This warms our heart. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. But then notice what he says. One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. You see that? All this love, make sure you have some boundaries. Make sure you have some sense. My dad was always a pretty direct guy. And I remember my first car I bought, of course I wanted to buy a new car, and I went to him and I said, Dad, um, you know, if I can't um, get the car without a cosigner, would you cosign a car with me? And he said, Son, if you need a cosigner, that means you can't afford the car. He loved me. But see, that's a boundary. He said, I'm not signing that. I'm not going to do that. And so we need to understand this. Jesus is very clear that you have to look and love intelligently. Matthew 7, 6, notice what he says here. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You have to make assessments, decisions. You have to be wise. You kids that are in here, I, I can't speak for your home exactly, but I know in our home, we operated high trust until you give us reasons to operate low trust. And we had wonderful kids, and they, they're all, they all got to adulthood through the high trust model. And but I'm telling you, you get to set that tone. It's important. Now, there's this emotional bandwidth, and you have to look in your life. What can I handle? What can I not? And you may have to put a little bit of distance sometimes. There are some people that there's a toxicity there. I mean, every once in a while, I've said to, I've said to somebody, you know, Jesus loves you. I don't. At least not at this moment. And so, here's the deal. The person in your life that needs your boundaries the most is the one who is the least likely to respect them. There are people in your life that will see your red lights as just flashing yellows. And so you have to have consequences. And so there are necessary boundaries and sometimes there are even necessary endings. We see this in the Bible. We see in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Lot separate. They were having some conflict. 
over water and pasture. Now, Abraham still loved Lot and rescued Lot when he was taken prisoner. We see in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas separated and took different partners to go share the gospel. Now, it looks like there was reconciliation at some point. Uh, it was over John Mark who had abandoned them on a, on a trip. Those appear more temporary. But notice in the words of Jesus and in the attitude of Jesus that sometimes a necessary ending is permanent. There's a passage in Matthew where um, Jesus says to these people that they've done some things that look like these are believers, and he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a boundary. It's a hard boundary. It's an ending. It's a necessary ending. And so we need to see this sometimes to follow in the steps of Jesus is to allow others to walk away or to walk away. And I didn't hear that much growing up. You know, in Matthew chapter 8, we have this incident where there's this guy. He's the garrison demoniac. He lives, in, um, he lives in a cemetery. He's filled with demons. He's running around. He is, he is you know, running around with no clothes on. I mean, he's like, he's like a crazy man. And here he is, and Jesus comes and drives out the demons. The demons go into a herd of pigs, and the pigs wildly go over this cliff and die. Now, I can't resist this because I'm a father, but you know, this is the first case we see of deviled ham. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My kids are like, really? What happens in this town is the people come to Jesus, and you expect, rah, rah, you, you healed the crazy guy. You saved this person. This person made in the image of God, this person who's valuable and you know precious. No. They're mad about the pigs. They're mad about the pigs. And they ask him to leave. And here's the thing about Jesus. He is a gentleman. If you ask him to leave, he will leave. And so that town, those people picked pork chops over salvation. I mean, seriously. They picked profit over people. And we see this. Jesus left. There are some really difficult, toxic people possibly in your life. They can ruin family gatherings. They can destroy a church. They can run a business into the ground. And there are times where you have to have a necessary boundary and even a necessary ending. And it's hard to do that because we want to please people. We want everybody to like us. I used to think that if I just shared the gospel right, or if I just presented Jesus right, that everybody would come. No. That's not how they responded to Jesus who is right in front of them. Doing miracle after miracle. And he was rejected by many. And Jesus let them, and he walked away. I think people-pleasing is at the heart of the chaos that emerges in our lives when we don't walk out boundaries. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, Am I now trying to win the approval of humans, human beings, or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Catch that. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Notice how he sets these against each other. Our aim, our goal is to please God, not man, not other people. So the big idea this morning is aim to please God. Do what he calls you to do. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Live for an audience of one. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the only way to heaven, the only Savior that can help us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you desire for us a life that flourishes a life that thrives. Lord, help us to put in our lives the appropriate boundaries, that cycle that of renewal, of refreshment. Lord, give us a, a, just a clarity about our calling so we don't waste time going in other directions. Lord, help us to acknowledge our limits, to say no when we should say no. And Lord, help us to, to love intelligently those around us. Lord, we want to please you above all else. Lord, this is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.